0: Log Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network.
1: Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our
0: sponsors This week's special guest will join us a bit later, but first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel.
2: All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted Oteriico, and excited to be back on air. I was off uh, for a little bit, uh, just taking some downtime, of course, as I always do. Uh, middle of the summer, and. Um, so obviously that's why we didn't have a show the last week, so uh, I'm back. Uh, anyways, thank you for joining me, and always uh, excited to be here with you guys. And uh, i got a great uh, friend joining me on a very special coaches Corner panel tonight, uh, so I hope you'll stick around and, and listen to that coming up here in just a moment. I'll introduce him. And then a little bit later on, I'm really, really excited to have tonight's uh, special guests. There's two of them, uh, Kelly McCammon and Dan Anderson, uh, they are with the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation. They're going to come on the second half of the show and talk about some of the great things um, that they're doing uh, at the foundation. And of course, as many of you know, uh, Payne Stewart was a great uh, PJ professional with uh, many, many wins, including three majors. Um, and uh, tragically, we lost him in, I believe it was October of 1999. Uh, uh, he uh, Died uh, along, I believe, actually with the, his agent uh, in a plane crash, and um, so uh, they started the uh, the foundation and are doing some things in, in obviously in his memory and his honor, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But um, again, glad to be back. Thanks for joining me, and uh, let me introduce my very good friend here on the Coach's Corner panel, and we'll get into tonight's discussion. Uh, of course, joining me is John Decker. He is the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. He's also one of the senior editors and a top twenty-five instructor at Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, he was the uh, prior, a prior, a prior, excuse me, head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando. Uh, he was also recognized in 2015 as uh, the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year, and he authored a great book called "Golf Is My Life: Glorifying God Through the Game," which, of course, includes a Bible study. And he's also a great public speaker as well. So. Um, Welcome, John, and thank you for joining me on the special Coach's Corner. Ted, thank you for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. All right, I appreciate it. Sorry I got a little tongue-tied there through part of your... Uh, <laughs> if I don't know what happened to me. I guess that's what happens when you take time off, you get out of practice. But um, always good to have you on, John. I always appreciate uh, what you bring to the program. And uh, we've, uh, over the last uh, several years since you've been part of the show uh, and, and other parts with the magazine now, uh, we've become uh, pretty good friends. So... I always enjoy uh, having you here and sharing your thoughts. So we're going to start with some questions here. Uh, Really, part of it's going to be from your perspective, and part of it, obviously, is from the players' uh, perspective. I'm talking about students and so forth. But I want to start off by asking, and I know the answer to part of this anyways, but I want to get your thoughts here. And the first question I want to ask you, John, is who is your teacher slash mentor And what did you learn from that person or even persons that you carry forward to your students today? That's a great question,
1: Ted. I I actually have three that I consider to be my mentors. Um, I will start with Phil Rogers. Um, I had the opportunity Mm -hmm. to meet him uh, in the uh, mid to early 90s. At the time, he was playing on the Champions Tour. Um, He was uh, also teaching at the um, Grand Cypress Academy of Golf where I worked. And Phil came in and, um, you know, I'd heard all about him and, and I I knew, you know, he had won six tour events and what a great, you know, professional. He had a long career on the PGA Tour and then, and then obviously on the Champions Tour. Um, and so um, I got to spend a lot of time with him. And, and Phil is not a kind of guy that, he's kind of hard to get to know at first. Uh, he comes across a little bit like a drill sergeant, but really he's a big teddy bear. And he sp- spent more personal time with me outside of instruction, teaching me about my own swing, about things helping me with my own game, uh, and also teaching me how to teach and have conversations about, you know, why you do certain things with certain students um, and, and the process of that. And I really learned how, so much. The short game, uh, his his short game uh, was world class. And, and I, watching him teach players like Paul Lazinger and Raymond Floyd and, watching uh, Payne Stewart come in, and um, who you just mentioned earlier, I got to watch. That was the first professional lesson I ever saw was Payne Stewart taking a golf lesson. Um, and then um, just watching Phil demonstrate his short game, and what was so amazing is is he could literally call his shot. He could tell you what he was going to do in front of a group of people, and he would do it every time on cue. And so he was, he was my first mentor. And then Fred Griffin, who was the director – of the Academy. I learned so much from him about the technical side uh, of teaching and also about how to be a golf professional. Uh, Ted, Ted, he's a very um, uh, professional person and just the business of of being a golf instructor. And, you know, little things that you do, the the follow-up emails, the, um, you know, how you present yourself. uh, His presentation uh, skills were very good. Uh, and very thorough, and he covered everything. And I learned a lot from him from that. As from the other instructors, we had a, a very talented staff. And then the third would be Dr. Ralph Mann, who um, was a silver medalist in the 1972 Olympics, and he worked at Grand Cypress. And he now works for the U.S. Track and Field Association. In fact, I think he's going over to Tokyo for the Olympics. Uh, in fact, I know he is because I saw um, Facebook friends with him, and he, he was one of the few people... They get to go over there with the travel restrictions and everything. And um, and Dr. Mann uh, taught me so much about the biomechanics of the golf swing, things that I did not know and understand, um, and really helped me. And when I teach students now, I have that in my mind. I can see the golf swing. He actually came up with a system called Model Golf, which was a, a blueprint of a skeletal structure of, of, uh, of the tour players and the 54 tour players that they filmed. <clears throat> And we we could put that over a student, and we could see where the student swing was and where they should be. And so as a young up-and-coming instructor, it it really gave me a a visual of what what the golf swing should look like, and seeing it compared to the average golfer really stood out and really impacted me as a teacher. So I would say that all three of those uh, men that I got to spend time with uh, alongside a, a wonderful staff that I worked with uh, would would be my mentors, and and so that's uh, I owe them a lot. And I, I, every time I teach a lesson, I think of one of them uh, in in the lesson because I'm always referring to something that they said or something I learned from
2: them. You know, it's interesting that you say that, um, and and obviously I concur with you all. Um, you know, three have played a, a key role in in really developing you to the professional that you are today. And obviously, you you have your own uh, credentials and your own abilities that you bring to the table. But I think it's so important. What's very unique about uh, this discussion that we're having right now is, you know, in in today's lesson T, if you will, and we've talked about this before, there's so much technology that's being brought into it. And and some of it's good, and and it certainly does need to be there. Um, You know, we're we're under different times than that. But I think sometimes... We forget that there was somebody before us, or somebody that helped bring us there, and I think that interaction is very, very important. And, and you know, I want to get you to touch a little bit about that because you, you mentioned some things about all three of them that different things that they taught you specifically that you're, you're bringing forward. But I would, I would hazard to guess that a lot of it was the communication that you had with each of them. That you're now able to communicate with your students. Would you agree that that's has been an integral part as well of of what you've been able to do with with your students on the lesson T.
1: Without a doubt. I mean, um, the interpersonal skills um, uh, and the time that I spent with the with those men. You know, working at Grand Cypress still, of course, passed away a few years ago. Fred's still alive, obviously, and mm-hmm. as as Dr. Mann. Um, but spending going out to dinner with them. Um, I, you know, got an opportunity to do that a lot. We, we did a lot of social activities together, played golf together. Um, you know, there was we, just everything. Whenever, whenever Phil would come in town, we would always, before he would leave, he would come in and he lived in San Diego and then he would stay in the Keys and then he would come up to Orlando every weekend during the spring and during the fall. So, um, right at the end, whenever he would leave, he, we would all get together and go out to dinner. And and you know we're talking you know fifteen sixteen guys going out to dinner at Ruth Chris and places like that right. Morton's, and 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 it was a lot of fun and just to be able to to talk about his life on the tour or to talk about uh, teaching a student we could be talking about one minute talking about teaching a, a a tour player and the next minute we could be talking about teaching a beginner it really didn't matter teaching I mean I love teaching I love to Um, to that aspect of, of golf. And um, so I learned so much in the stories and I use so many of the stories that I learned from Phil, Fred, and Dr. Mann. I use so many of those stories in my presentations uh, or in my book, you know, I, in my book, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of those stories are in my book as well. So um, it's just, um, and I'm trying to bring that to Fairways to Heaven and bring that to the magazine as well. So it's just been, Mm -hmm. uh, I've been blessed to have some great people in my life. And I always tell people that, this isn't something I came up with. This is this is what's been passed down to me, and I agree with you. I look at a lot of the young instructors out there who use technology, who are very good at it, but they rely too much on technology. You know, for the listeners out there, when you're going to get a lesson, don't spend the whole lesson just getting numbers off a of track man uh, because those numbers are important, but they're measurements. You know, they're measurements. What right. really matters is being able to change your, your, your golf swing or change your grip or club facing or whatever it is they're working with you on. That's what ultimately matters because those numbers aren't going to mean anything on the golf course when you're playing on the weekends or playing in your member guests, you know, so learning how to play this game and, and learning, you know, the fundamentals uh, that don't have anything to do with technology that I hope never goes away in teaching because I see far too many uh, young instructors relying too much on just the technology and it needs to be a part – it needs to be a tool in in your toolbox. That's what it should be, one tool. It should not be your entire yeah. toolbox. That's my
2: opinion. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and again, not uh, – you know, we've had this discussion, so we won't get into it. But, um, you know, I, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> Forgive me. Um, you know, I agree with technology. I think it's – I think there is a place for it. And as you suggest, it is a, a tool, if you will, to have in the toolbox – Um, but you're exactly right. I think the communications that you've had with the three gentlemen that you're referring to, and and obviously other professionals have their uh, mentors or or professionals that they've worked over time, I think when you have that interpersonal uh, communication dialogue, um, there's a lot of information sometimes that may not necessarily be directly said, but can be extrapolated from just listening to that instructor and and, and understanding the messaging that they 're trying to get across that you can 't always get from a machine um, or an app or what have you and so I think i 'd like to see as i 'm sure you would i 'd like to see some of the younger instructors i 'm not asking them to do away with it but to to have that that dialogue uh, with you know some of our more seasoned professionals out there that have been around for a while because there 's a lot they can learn from them, and uh, you obviously drew a lot of, uh, information from, from those guys, uh, that you're using today, you know, several years later after you've, uh, you've worked with them and, and, uh, been mentored by them. So I think it's very, very, uh, uh, you know, good that you recognize that. And I hope some of the younger guys coming up today and, and girls, uh, follow that, that suit, because I think it's, it's something that's definitely needed. All right. I want to move on to another question. And this is really for the amateurs out there, especially, um, you know, some of our, our higher handicap players that have not played very well, again, we've talked uh, here in recent months, you know, because of COVID, golf has seen a pretty big influx of people coming out to the golf course, many for the first time. Um, and, you know, we we get to have the ability to watch on TV or now, as things have opened up a little bit more, been able to actually go to events in some cases, obviously on a smaller scale. If you're working with a student and they're about to watch you know, an event or they're going to an event, um, that can create a great opportunity for them to maybe even learn from watching some of these uh, touring professionals. What specifically would you, uh, obviously they want to go and have a good time and enjoy the experience, but if you wanted them to absorb some things while they're there at the event or while they're watching it on TV that maybe could benefit them, what might those...
1: Well, it's funny, funny that you asked that question because this has happened to me uh, quite often in my career. When I was working in Orlando, we always had Bay Hill, and we had a lot of students who would come in, and they would come to the golf schools or come in for the to the resort, but then they would tell me, oh, I'm going to go to Bay Hill, or here we have the memorial here uh, in Columbus, and I get every, you know, members, oh, yeah, we're going to go over to the practice round, or we're going to go over to the tournament, uh, you know, on Saturday or whatever. And and uh, and I always use that opportunity to say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take some time to go and just sit at the driving range. I said that's the best bang for your buck. You get to see a lot of swings at once, and you know, and you know, you can just kind of sit there and just absorb the way they practice. Notice they don't just bang, bang, bang balls. You know, they'll they'll hit a shot, they'll back away, they may talk up, uh, you know, to their caddy. They may talk to their coach. Um, they may rehearse a move or whatever. But there's a system. You can tell. They get into a rhythm, and you can almost, if you watch them long enough, you can almost predict how much time they're going to take between shots. They'll hit maybe mm-hmm. two or three balls a minute. They don't hit eight or mm-hmm. ten balls in a minute. They hit only a few balls per minute. They're, they're, they're basically, uh, you know, either warming up, you know, before the round or after the round they're working on something in their swing. Yeah, then I have them, I say, try to go watch them in the short game area as well. Um, and then when you go out on the golf court and the putting green, you know, go watch them the way they, they, they work on the putting green. Notice notice the way they, you know, they they how they, you know, are hitting their practice putts. Notice that they spend a lot of time there. They don't just go and hit three putts and then they go to the first tee. They spend a lot of time there. So I'm always – saying these are things that you can learn from them no matter what handicap level you are that that are going to help you and then when they're on the golf course I really emphasize watch their pre-shot routines watch how much time they spend you know in their routine not that you need to stand over the ball you know and take a minute and a half to hit your shot but notice that they have a pre-shot routine that they consistently do every single time and they all are a little different but they all have those routines and so those are things that I recommend that they do, and then the last thing I'll say is if there's a certain like if I get someone who has a um who has a really uh fast golf swing um you know I'm not mm-hmm. going to want them to watch john rom i'm going to want them to watch colin right. Mar- mark i'm going to want want them to watch someone who has a slower transition and is not real fast so so I always you know based on what what the students uh, mannerisms. I remember a few years ago we had a, in a ladies clinic and, and I was talking about, I was asking if anybody was going to go over to the tournament because it was on Thursday and uh, one of the ladies said, yeah, I'm, as soon as the clinic's over, my husband and I are going over to, to watch the tournament and I was talking about looking at the target and I said, you know, watch Jordan Spieth. When Jordan Spieth sets up to a ball I said, he'll look at his target I, I've never seen anybody turn his head more and look at the target more than Jordan Spieth and so this lady went mm-hmm. over, found Jordan Spieth, followed him around, came back the next day and said, John, I found Jordan Spieth, I followed him, and I counted. And he looked at the target 18 times one time before he hit a shot. And I said, see? I said, he's not looking down at that ball. He's looking at his target. Um, you know, I said, that's something that you can learn from, from you know, the, the best players in the world. They don't lock in on the ball. They lock in on the target. So those are those are things that I try to pass on to, to uh my students, hopefully, hopefully they're going to go have a good time, enjoy the enjoy the tournament, but they can learn from those the best players in the world.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, something else I've I've always tried to in, encourage uh, my students over the years, um, if they're fortunate enough to attend an event. Obviously, watching on TV is a little bit different experience, but if you actually have the opportunity to go to it, um, I, I like you. I always recommend they they get down there, especially early uh, on the range. Um, um, and, and watch some of the different players coming through, uh, and the same thing is if you know if you're a, a player with a you know sort of a moderate tempo, you know you don't want to be following somebody with a with a super quick tempo or vice versa. Um, but the other thing I used to do is when they found a player that that really sort of fit into their mold a little bit, I always like for them to follow them along the course as well because you learn a lot from watching the players. Um, you know, not just on the tee. And I know sometimes you can't always get close, but I, what I used to do is I would kind of go a little bit ahead of the player. So I'd get further down the fairway a little bit. I mean, you know, you see so many tee shots, you know, they're all kind of the same after a while. But I like to get partway down the fairway so I can get a good shot. I'd get right up against the rope. And I would watch as the players were coming up, and I'd get, I knew pretty much where they were going to hit it, so I'd get there first. And I would watch how they prepare their approach shot to the green and things, and they'd go through the routines, as you suggest. And it was always very interesting because there was a lot of similarities, but there were also a lot of differences. And it was a great way for you to learn. And if you were fortunate enough, if they – not for them, but for you, if they hit a little close to the side and you know into the rough or whatnot along the ropes – uh, you could actually hear their conversations between them and the caddies. And it was always very interesting, the questions they would ask, and the, the caddies would respond a certain way. So I think there's a lot of information that you can get, um, not necessarily about the golf swing itself, but just how they handle themselves out in the golf course. A lot of great tips that, as an amateur, you can pick up from watching the pros. So um, that was some great uh, advice that you gave, uh, John, on that, because I think it, it helps. And I want to flip this a little bit. I wanna, It's a similar question, but I want to... Uh, and this is more geared for the men out there. Uh, I'm a firm believer. Uh, I love watching the ladies play on the LPGA. Um, part of the question is, can the men learn something from watching the ladies play?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I refer to the LPGA, uh, pretty much on a daily basis when I'm teaching. And um, you know, uh, I teach a lot of men. I teach a lot of women. So it's uh, and I teach a lot of juniors. So it's it just uh, I'm, I'm constantly talking about that. And what I'm always referring to is I, I talk a lot about the follow through with Michelle Wee, you know, and how the driver mm-hmm. is literally pointing. Uh, you see this with Rory McIlroy as well, but Michelle Wee does it to an extreme. That uh, not an extreme, but in a in extreme in a good way. Uh, she has that club pointing all the way back at the at the. Like down the middle of the fairway uh when she is when she has completed her swing, she's always on balance, she's got her arms really nice and close to her body. there's no separation of her arms and which allows maximum rotation and that's why she can create um you know so much power because she's you know she's almost i think she's six one six foot you know she's tall, she mm-hmm. has a she's very athletic uh very powerful swing, and you watch her hit a golf ball, and um you know she I guarantee you, she could hang with a lot of the uh, the men out there on the on the PGA tour. She, so uh, I do I refer to uh, that as well. Um, I I, do, I definitely um, see um, some differences in the, the the PGA tour and the LPGA tour uh, in the short game. Um, I, I definitely think that um, you know I enjoy working with really good uh, uh, players that are coming up that are. Um, like a lot of the women that I work with that are high school, really good high school and college players and those that are trying to play professionally in the times that I have worked with the girls at the U S open, I've worked there and worked with some other girls at grand Cypress. And the one question that they really, um, a lot of the, the better players really want to know is the short game because uh, a lot of times um, in the past uh, you would see the in on the L P J the women kind of just playing the sh- standard shots. They weren't, Playing a variety of different shots, and now you're starting to see much more, uh, you know, bump and runs, chips, uh, medium high pitches, high pitches, and you're seeing the girls out there hitting a variety of different shots, which I think is great. I think it's uh, obviously that's one of the things that makes makes you uh, uh, an all-around great player is when you can hit all the shots. There's not a golf course you can't play, and as you as you know, Ted, we always. We're going to mm-hmm. miss fairways sometimes, and we're certainly going to miss. And being able to hit different shots around the greens is, is something that I think that where the LPJ has come a long way uh, over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, in my opinion, in watching um, the way they play and way they practice. And they're working at it a lot harder um, than, they, than they used to. Um, I think that the influx of the Asian players that are coming in, Korean players, has really uh, kind of lit a fire under a lot of the Americans in saying, hey, these girls work mm. at it extremely hard. They're not sitting out there, you know, talking to their friends uh, while they're hitting range balls. They are really dedicating what they're doing. And, um, you know, right. I think that that's great. I think it's great because Tiger Woods did the same thing when he came to the PGA Tour. He raised the bar. All of a sudden, you know, Phil Mickelson starts working out. All of a sudden, guys are – Davis Love, these guys are like, man – this guy is really good. If we're going to compete with him, we've got to up our game. And so uh, anytime you have competition like that, it's good. It's it's good for for everyone. And and so um, I'm really excited about the LPGA Tour and the the trajectory it's on. I'm excited about the PGA Tour, and I'm extremely excited for the game of golf because I've never seen
2: people out playing and and, uh, participating like they are right now. Yeah, and – I I noticed it as well. We see a lot of golf courses are are very full uh, and active and it's good to see. And and as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's nice to see a lot of new people. You know, what what was really interesting, I was out at a course here a couple of weeks ago, uh, just up at the range and actually had some time to hit some balls myself. And what was really, really interesting, and I had not seen this for a long time, is there are a lot of young girls, young women coming to the golf course now with their boyfriends, you know, husbands, whatever the case may be, you know, we've always seen an older group of, of women, uh, you know, maybe come with their husbands or playing in a league, but I'm seeing a lot of, um, you know, high school, even uh, college and even some younger girls um, just out on the range and coming with a friend or, you know, I recently, as I said, I was at the range and, you know, there were two young girls. They looked to be, if I was to hazard a guess, probably somewhere in high school uh, if not very early college, um, and they were out there having some fun. They were you know dressed up uh, appropriately and and had their clubs, and they were working you know on the putting surface and and out hitting some balls and doing things and uh, Obviously, they could play, I could tell because they were hitting uh, some pretty good balls so but it, you know that 's something i hadn 't really seen a lot of for a long time, um, and we 're seeing more and more, so obviously more women are getting excited about coming in and playing. Uh, I think because of the great work that the LPJ has done, um, John. I know you'll remember this movie, uh, Happy Gilmore, and there was a, yeah. you know, um, it talked it talked about in the movie, you know, the secrets to hitting the long ball. Um, we're obviously not talking about uh, how uh, the character did it, but uh, everybody wants to know what's the secret. Uh, how do we hit it longer?
1: Well, it's funny. I, I I use the little happy Gilmore drill sometimes with my juniors um and they love it. Um and we we do that yeah. and uh well the the key to the long ball um there's there's several several things that I look for. Number 1 um and I wrote uh, about this in in uh in Golf Tips uh you know uh, back a couple months ago. Um number one, is you got to tee it high. You you can't hit the ball long teeing the ball low because when you tee the ball low you're going to increase your spin. Um, you want to tee the ball high. That's going to promote a more inside path. That's going to promote more of a uh, where you're hitting slightly up on the ball. You want to hit up on the ball. You're not hitting down on the ball with a driver. Uh, number two is you need to have a wide stance. If you have a narrow stance, you are not going to be a power hitter. If you look at the long drive guys, now these guys are big, if, and, and but even the girls that are out there in, in the long drive competitions. They all have wide stances. You will not see any of them with the narrow stance. You need that to help that hitting up on the ball. Uh, They're using drivers with two and three degrees of loft and five and six inch tees. So they have to have a wide stance to create that uh, upward angle of approach uh, at the, at the bottom of their swing where they're catching it on the upswing and not the downswing. Um, And then, you know, I always want the, the shoulders to be tilted and the head behind the ball, it's set up. You n- I do not want the head to be on the ball. If I, if I take a video of a student, uh, one of the things, one of my favorite views is the front view where I'm standing right in front of the golf ball, and I will draw a line straight up the golf ball from the golf ball, and the head should be behind that line. If their head is on that line, they're going to come in steep. They're going to put too much spin on the ball. Uh, and so that, that is a, another thing that I look for. Um, it helps to have a stronger grip, in my opinion, than a weaker grip um, because a stronger grip promotes more rotation. Uh, that will help you with your power as well. Fitness is extremely important with power, and I make no bones about that when people ask me, how do, how do you hit the ball you know, farther? A lot of times I tell them, you need to get stronger. You need to, you know, a lot of my juniors, a lot of girls that I work with, I'm telling you, you need to do squats. You need you need to do leg work. You need to do core work. You need to do dy, you know dynamic motion where you're tossing a medicine ball and things like that. Uh, you know that is important. And there's a lot of great videos out there on YouTube. You don't have to go out and hire a a, a, a trainer. You, it helps if you can do that. But if you can't, there's a lot of things that you can learn from uh, watching the <coughs> TPI stuff on YouTube that will that you can do at your home, and you don't have to go out and buy a bunch of fancy equipment to do that. Anything that you can do to be in better shape helps your game and also helps your quality of life. Um, And then your equipment, you know, you got to, you got to, if you've got a driver that was built in the nineties, you have no chance to hit the ball as far as (laughs) someone who has a driver that was built within the last three or four years. And if your driver is over five years old, you really ought to consider getting a fitting. Uh, It makes a difference. Um, You know, the new drivers that are coming out, they're just, Bigger, lighter. Uh, the shafts are better. Making sure that you have the right shaft is critical. Uh, you know that uh, as well, Ted. And, and also the right loft on your driver. So there's a lot of uh, th- answers to that question. All of them are important because um, you can be physically fit, but if you have the wrong equipment, that's not going to help. And he, you can have, um, you know, you can have all the the you can have a three thousand dollar set of clubs that you just got you know, from a fitter, but if you're out of shape and you have wrong, bad technique, that's not going to help. So you've got to have a combination of all those. And that's what these, that's what the tour players do. And, and um, I try my best to, to, you know, I don't play in, in, in like I used to, but I try my best to, um, you know, set those examples when I'm talking to my students that, Hey, I, I work out every day. I do these things, uh, you know, um, to try to still hit the ball out there and, and distance requires, um, you know, some work, in, in my opinion, to, to
2: have the fitness and to create that kind of club head speed. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, we see so many uh, – obviously, you know, as we all get a little bit older, we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be 20 forever, and, and we don't have the same energy. But you can do things to certainly um, help, um, and, and as you suggested, some of the things. And you're right, the TPI, which is the Titleist uh, Performance Institute – is what TPI stands for. Uh, there's some great videos. Don't just go and watch any old fitness video And that. Um, you specifically want to look for things. Uh, if you're not able to work with somebody that's a certified fitness instructor or that has uh, some skill in that area, uh, you don't want to just be watching any old fitness videos because there are specific um, things, and you mentioned a couple, that are more conducive to, to playing better golf. Other you know, um, things that might be... Um, geared to just straight weightlifting and things like that may not be um, advantageous uh, in your golf game. So you don't want to be doing things that are going to actually uh, hamper um, your ability to, to gain strength and things like that. And there's a lot of great uh, tools out there as well as videos and things that you can watch, uh, speed sticks or some, uh, even a, a good orange whip. Uh, that's a, another product you can Google that, orange whip. Uh, a lot of different products out there that can help you to gain some clubhead speed. Uh, But you want to make sure that you're staying fit and and nutrition as well. That's another one, John, that we need to mention is uh, having good nutrition. If you're, you know, eating a lot of fatty foods and things all the time, you're very lethargic. You don't have energy and, uh, you know, you're out in the golf course and by the time you hit uh, the turn, you're about ready for a nap. So, you know, having good nutrition, staying well hydrated and things like that are also going to help uh, generate uh, some clubhead speed and, and faster turn through Uh, the swing, that's going to get you some distance. So um, doing a lot of those things, as John just mentioned, and and a few of the others that I just did uh, are going to help you. Uh, One of the other things, too, is, you know, we want to make sure, John, you touched on some, but uh, getting the most out of your equipment, uh, obviously making sure you're staying up to date and and not using equipment that's outdated um, because technology is constantly changing. But um, what do you think are some of the the truths and or myths um, about equipment?
0: Well, I think,
1: the, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people think that every year the, 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 there's going to be new equipment that comes out, and I've got to have it, you know, because if I'm going to keep up with the Joneses, that's going to make the difference. I think mm-hmm. that is a myth. What, what I like to see, you know, let, let's be realistic. Not everyone has, you know, um, thousands of dollars every year to spend on golf equipment, and, and I certainly have always said that uh, for most of my students, they would be better served to take lessons than go out and get new mm-hmm. equipment every year. They would be better to do that. Now, I have had at least two students this year who I have told, I said, listen, I said, I looked at their equipment. Mm-hmm. Their equipment was terrible for them. It was from probably the, the early 80s, and I, and, yeah. and they were beginners. And I said, I told them, I said, you would be better served to go to get fit and get a new set of clubs and not spend. Come see me and to spend the money on, because they had enough of a golf swing to where they could play, but their equipment was so bad there was no chance for for them to really improve. I said, you would be better off to go buy new equipment than to take the golf lessons for right now now I said that is I, I said I am taking money out of my own pocket when I say that statement, but I care more about you as a student than me making money and I, and because I, I know in the long run. You're going to thank me for that, and you're going to come back. It may be next year, but eventually you're going to come back. Uh, you know, I said, but take, that, take the money that you're going to spend on a lesson package, put it to the equipment first, and then if you can come back and see me, that that's great. I would love to. So I, I always try to be honest with people when it comes to that. But the thing, here, the, the myths, the things that you do need to do, number one is you should have your clubs re at least once every two years, preferably once every year. if you have grips that are over two years old, you're really doing yourself a disservice because the grips are mm-hmm. bad. They're g- you're going to be squeezing the club real tight. Uh, so, so get your clubs re-gripped. You need to change your iron or excuse me, your wedges out, uh, probably every two to four years, you need to look to get new wedges, especially if you're playing a lot of golf. Uh, Your driver, Mm -hmm. uh, you can change out every three to five years. And a set of irons, you can change out maybe every five to ten years. So that's, uh, you know, those are just some very broad. There's a lot of exceptions because there's a lot of people who play a lot of golf and maybe work through wedges or or clubs like that, you know, um, a a lot. As far as putters go, some of the best putters I've ever seen are guys that putt with putters uh, that are, 40 years old. So you don't have to go out and oh, yeah. buy a new putter every year. You can have I mean putting is if you if you've got a putter that you like and and you know and you and feels comfortable, you keep it. I'm never I'm I'm not a big person to go out and push people to get new putters because I think confidence in what you what you have in your hand is really very important. So those are some some things that will help you. The most important part of a golf club is the shaft. It is the shaft. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at your shafts, you need to look at graphite versus steel, and it's based on a lot of things. It's based on your club head speed. It's based on injuries. It's based on your age. It's based on, you know, um, a lot of things that have to do, um, you, you know, with your swing, um, you know, because I've had students who I've put them from steel into graphite and their clubhead speeds increased. I've also had people that, that uh, I've gone from, from graphite to steel, who their club head speed has increased. So uh, it depends on you know uh, uh, there's a lot of factors with that. So get with your local club pro and talk to them about the shafts. Ask the pro are these are the shafts I have in this club in the clubs that I currently have good for me? Or are they hindering my game or helping my game? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know I think those are important. And then the utility clubs, the hybrids. If you have a club in your bag for the average person that has a one, a two, a three, or a four on it, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get mm-hmm. yourself a hybrid. You don't have to have four hybrids, one or two hybrids, or a, a real lofted fairway wood like a seven wood. I've seen a lot of people with nine woods, seven woods. Five woods are very popular right now. Put those in your bag. You don't need the long iron. So those are some, some definite musts. For, for the average golfer out there, um, you know, and hopefully um, that that new equipment, because equipment does make a difference, and and if you have the right equipment mm-hmm. in your hands, it it can help you to, to really
2: uh, improve your game. Right, and let me just add one thing here. You're, you're so right. I mean, it, it's important to be fitted, uh, and you don't have to be a great player, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. And what I try to do, especially for new golfers that are new to the game, Uh, Because, you know, let's be honest, golf can can be costly. Uh, Again, you don't have to get the the top-of-the-line equipment, but it is important that you are fitted with the right equipment. But what I always suggest to new golfers, you know, we're allowed to carry 14 clubs in the bag. Uh, That's legally what you're allowed to play with, especially if you're playing in competitions. What I would suggest for new players, people that have never really played the game, that are just sort of getting their feet wet... You don't have to go out and buy all 14 clubs. You can get away with probably seven clubs in your bag. And, again, you want to work with your golf professional, uh, get them to advise, based on your abilities and your game, what might be the best clubs to have in that bag, and then add to them as you develop and get a little bit more uh, you know, in tune with what you want to do. But, you know, they are even talking, John, uh, even on the PGA Tour, they've talked about scaling it down to fewer clubs, uh, because they're not using a lot of clubs anymore, and these guys are still, well, their caddies are, carrying around these big you know, behemoth golf bags with 14 clubs, and they're not really using them all. So you know, for new golfers, I would suggest that they start with a smaller set, much like we see with juniors in that. Start with a smaller set, you know, um, and again, work with your, your local golf professional to uh, get you sized up and whatnot for the right clubs for you, um, and then add as you go along. And, you know, you don't have to go out and buy all 14. It's going to save you a little bit of money initially. Um, And then as you commit more to the game and you develop more in the game, then you can add the clubs that uh, are going to best serve you out in the golf course. But don't just go out and buy a set of golf clubs, uh, even if you're fitted, if you're not really somebody that has played very long, because you're you're going to end up spending a lot of money in maybe an area that um, you're not really good at yet or you're comfortable with yet so I think that's important as well and that's just another tip that I've recommended some people doing especially for again new players and and even women uh, golfers who uh, you know have a favorite club in the bag and they don't really use a lot of the other clubs you don't need to have all 14 to start off with you can start off with a smaller set again maybe seven um, maybe even eight or nine uh, and work your way up. Um, I want to ask you About some of the misconceptions in golf that amateurs need to know. What are some misconceptions? uh, Wow, that's a great question. Um, Or mis or misunderstandings. um, You can do it misconceptions misunderstandings. misunderstandings.
1: Um, Well, I think let's see. Um, The I think one one of the one of the biggest ones that I see is um, a lot of people who um, who pop the ball up with their driver okay, Um, they think, uh, wow, I need to tee the ball down lower because I'm I'm teeing it too high. So they keep teeing it down lower and lower and lower. Well, all they're doing is promoting more of a descending blow with their driver. And like I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. we're catching the driver on the upswing. So you actually need to do the opposite of that. It doesn't make sense. You would think, wow, I'm popping it up if I tee it higher then, then I'm going to pop it up even more. But actually, that's the only way you can really train yourself to swing more up on the ball is by teeing the ball higher and not teeing the ball lower. So that is certainly one of the misconceptions I hear. The other one is, I just thought of this one. Um, I was teaching some, um, some very good junior golf, uh, players. They were, they were, um, you know, in eighth grade and they were good girl players. And I was talking to them. Um, it was one of the, uh, first lessons I was working with them on and I was talking to them about the divot and they said, we're supposed to make a divot. And I said, yes, they, <laughs> they did not understand that they were actually supposed to make a divot with an iron. They thought that was a bad thing. So they thought they were supposed to, to not make a divot. So you are supposed to make a divot uh, with your irons. Um, and so I think that is, that is a, a, a misconception that, that some people are, you know, uh, uh, so a lot of people may not know that. And so I think it's important that you learn how to make a divot with your irons because you, the weight, if you look at the way they design clubs, they put all the weight at the bottom of the iron. They don't put the weight in the middle or the top of the iron. They put all the weight at the bottom. Well, you've got to get that weight into the ground. That's going to help get the ball up in the air. It's going to give you the maximum uh, spin, the maximum launch angle. Maximum distance, all those good things that we're after, is going to happen when you make a divot. If you watch tour players when they're hitting irons, they all pretty much. There's Steve Stricker's the only one that I know of that was kind of pick it off the the ground, but but all of these guys and the girls out there on the LPGA, they're taking divots. You you definitely you definitely want to make a divot. Um, so I think those are those are two that really pop up uh, out of mm-hmm. you know in my head right away. Um, but that's a great question. I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll think of some others because there, there are a lot of misconceptions, you know, out there. I think, um, you know, when I was coming up in teaching, um, there was a lot of data about club path and swing path affecting your ball versus club face angle. But now the data is showing actually that the club face angle uh, is the most prevalent uh, uh, influence on the golf ball. And so Mm -hmm. that goes back to the grip. Uh, And that goes back to just, you know, uh, any basic uh, lesson that you take when you first get started is how to hold the club. That's why it's so important. Uh, And so, you know, TrackMan is finding out this data, um, you know, which, uh, you know, Harvey Pinnock was teaching, you know, you know, 60, 70 years ago, he was teaching and, and Ben Hogan and all the, all the greats, you know, the Bob Toskies and all those Uh, what we call old timers, you know, teachers, um, they, they know the importance of the grip and how important it was. They didn't have to have it backed up with all the research. So those are some misconceptions out there that I think, um, you know, will will hopefully help
2: some of the, some, some of the listeners, uh, tonight. You know, it's interesting too, that you mentioned about the divot. I remember watching, I think it was on the champions tour, uh, on the golf channel, uh, not the event, but you know, they have, uh, that segment and they'd have a lot of, and Lee Trevino, they were talking to him and he mentioned, uh, you know, over the years, uh, it was very noticeably, he took very large divots, especially when he was working with his, uh, his wedges, but a lot of his irons, he always took a big divot and somebody asked him one day if they thought he could saw the front, his front yard with all the divots he took because they were so big. I mean, so, I mean, it just goes to your point. I mean, his were a little excessive, yeah. I think, but. You know, he always took large divots, and he was the same way, and he wanted to make sure that he was coming with a descending blow with those irons. Now, obviously, a driver and whatnot is different, but, uh, you know, he took some big divots, and I remember the announcer that was talking to him at the time brought that up, and it just goes to your point. All right, this last question I thought, I've asked this of of some of the folks before. In fact, the the last show I asked this, and I thought it was kind of a fun question to ask uh, uh, the pros on here, and it, it goes like this. If you had... Any tour player, and in this case I'm going to expand it to include teaching pros ear hour or two, what would the discussions be about? So if you had the opportunity to sit down or have a coffee, a drink, whatever, with any, any tour player or even a teaching professional, if you prefer, um, for an hour or two, what would that discussion be about?
1: Well, I can tell you my favorite golfer uh, is Jack Nicholas, but it would not be Jack Nicholas. Uh, because I don't think I've, I I um, and I I would pick Tiger, and the reason I would pick Tiger is because Tiger is the one person that I've seen on the PGA Tour that if he wasn't a great mm-hmm. tour player, he would be a great teacher, I, and I because mm-hmm. I've seen him do he he knows so much about mm-hmm. the golf swing, and um I, I he just can dissect the golf swing he can talk about he knows in it mentally everything and I would want to talk with him about about how he hits the the shot like what does he do I know that he has the physical tools to make the ball curve like like just like the 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 stinger and you know being able to you know hit the ball and fade the ball draw the ball all the different windows in his mind where he he can hit it see a shot And he just talks to his caddy about the different shots, the shot shaping, which is a lost art with the modern golf ball. Uh, You know, back when, when, uh, you know, Nicholas would always shape it left to right. Uh, uh, Faldo could shape it either way. And Tiger, you know, shapes it either way. And Hogan could shape it either way. Um, You know, all these guys, uh, these great ball strikers who can do this, it's a lot more difficult with the modern golf ball. And I I really – um, would like to talk to him m- more about the technical aspects of the golf swing. I wouldn't really get wrapped up in, you know, what you thought, you know, what you were doing in majors and things like that. It would be more about mm-hmm. about the teaching side of golf because I honestly think that's one one of the reasons why his son is going to be probably a really great player because he's teaching right. uh, Charlie. You know, he's not he's not sending him off to David Ledbetter or or Dave Pals or one of these guys, he's doing it himself. He obviously uh, knows the golf swing, and I and I would want to talk to Tiger about how um, the golf swing, you know, in his mind, you know, um, you know. And I would want him to look at my golf swing. I'd say, all right, in my mind, in your mm-hmm. mind, what do you see here? What what could I improve on? Uh, just I've done that my entire career. Anytime I'm with a good player or a good teacher, I always ask him, well, what can I do better? You know, what what is it that I'm mm-hmm. doing? That's you know holding me back, and so I think that Tiger Woods would probably be the person that i would I would interview or want to talk with
2: yeah I think it would be I think it would be a very interesting conversation, and you're right um, you know maybe in the last few minutes you could talk about you know whatever, but uh, I think it would be very interesting because I, I I agree with you on that because you know he he's very very if you ever watched him i mean obviously there were differences between him and jack but if you ever watched Tiger, especially earlier on in his career when he really, really started to rise, he, he's a very analytical player. I mean, he may not speak a lot of things. He was always very quiet uh, around the golf course. You know, he didn't really talk a lot, but uh, other than to his caddy. But he, you know, you could see the wheels turning, and you're right. He had a myriad of shapes and shots that he could hit at any given time And that's a very powerful tool. That's better than any other tool really that I think you could have is obviously that mental game was so sharp and his abilities to hit a variety of different shots. I mean, imagine that. You're walking up. It doesn't matter what your situation is. You've got a plethora of golf shots in your golf bag that you can pull out given a variety of different situations you might be faced with. Not everybody on tour could do that. And that's why I believe players like he were able to dominate so much, especially in the early 2000s before a lot of his injuries came about, is I think that's what Tiger became so good at. Because he certainly, you know, he could certainly hit it a a long way, and I won't say he was the longest, he was at at parts. Uh, And he wasn't always the most accurate off the tee either, I mean, uh, when you look at some of the stats. But he had an ability to recall a shot as and when needed Uh, really unlike anybody else that's been out on tour. And that's a very, very powerful arsenal to have. And I think that's why he's done so well in his career. And it's unfortunate that he's facing some of the the struggles that he is right now with his, you know, his physical body and that that's, you know, part of the the, that goes with it when you work so hard and obviously some injuries and things that he sustained. But um, yeah, I think that would be a very interesting uh, conversation. And I have to agree, he would be in my bucket list of, of pros I would want to talk with as well. And I think, you know, he's got a good sense of humor. Um, you know, he's always very serious in the golf course, but I think he would probably uh, maybe crack a joke or two along the way. But uh, that's, a, that's a great choice. What about, we've just got a, a moment or two uh, before we have to cut off, but um, what about a teach professional? Is there anybody that you can think in the teaching side, you know, past or or? or future that uh, that you're seeing out there now that you'd like to have a similar conversation with?
1: Um, It
2: would probably be, I've
1: only met Butch Harmon one time and it was very briefly. I mean, it wasn't even a meeting. It would probably be Butch Harmon. I, I, um, um, the, the, there's a lot of top teachers out there who um, I, I don't, Necessarily agree with their their methods or or whatever, and there's probably mm-hmm. people that say the same thing about me. So I, I you know I don't get real enamored because I feel like I was working with the 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 elite teachers uh, at Grand Cypress. Mm-hmm. I got an opportunity, and I know I'm biased in in that statement. But Butch Harmon has always, sure. in my opinion, sure. been been top of the the list when it comes to the quote unquote best teachers or whatever. Um, not because I think that he has. Um, any greater skills than a lot of the top teachers up there? It's not that. What I like about Butch Harmon is, is his ability to um, communicate and his ability to take what a player has and make it better. He doesn't try to put you in some uh, cookie cutter approach. To, this is the way it has to be, and everything. He works with a Dustin Johnson differently than a Ricky Fowler, and he, you know, I thought Mickelson was. I, I honestly I thought Mickelson's swing looked as good as it's ever looked when he was working with mm. with uh, Butch and I don't know why he left that. I, I don't know why these guys do it. Um, you know, um but but I thought that was when Phil was at his best when he was working under Butch and I certainly think that Tiger was at his best uh yeah. when he was, I was working just, with, with Butch Harmon. So that would yeah, be that would be my big feature.
2: Yeah, I was just about to say that uh, very same statement about Tiger. I, I have to agree. I think of all the teachers that Tiger, and, and I, again, that's not to dismiss any of the others. I mean, I know they're all good in their own right. Um, uh, you know, Hank Haney, of course, uh, has, uh, has had a, a very successful career. But I, I would agree with that, I think. And a lot of people actually said that, uh, you know, after he left uh, working with Butch, that his, his game didn't seem to be quite the same. Uh, I know he had some success, obviously, under Hank Haney in that as well. But um, I think Butch Harmon has a very unique approach to it. I think he, like you said, I think he takes what what's sort of within the player, and he doesn't try to put them into a different mold and whatnot. And I think some of the others quite often try to change too much or try to get them into an area. And Butch seemed to work, and again, he's different with every player, of course, But he seems to find what works best for that individual and then focuses on that. And I think the other thing, too, is I think he, as you pointed out earlier, in Tiger's case, I think he recognized that Tiger's prowess in his own understanding of the golf swing and what worked for him, he recognized that. So, you know, you're not going to come in there and talk to somebody that probably can teach the game, uh, you know, at a high level as well and and try to push him into a, a category or an area um, so I think that's why there was a mutual respect as well. And, and I think that's why they had some success. So I think it's very interesting, very good choices, Tiger and, uh, and Butch. I think those are two good choices and they would be certainly in my, uh, top group as well. Um, well, John has always, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been interesting to hear some of the responses you had this evening on the show. And it's always a pleasure to have you on. And I'm going to give you a moment or two, if you want to, uh, just uh, reach out to the folks and let them know how they can best get in touch with you. And if you've got anything uh, special that you want to plug uh, coming up, uh, by all means, go ahead.
1: Well, first of all, Ted, thank you again for having me on Coach's Corner. I uh, I look forward every year when you send it out. I look forward to I get it on my calendar, and and uh, it's something that I just really enjoy doing, and I really enjoy being on with you as well. And and I look forward to spending spending more Thursday nights with you. Uh, in the future, uh, if for the listeners out there um, that want to reach out to me, there's a lot of different ways. One is through social media under John Decker Golf Instruction. Uh, my first name I spell J-O-N, so John Decker Golf Instruction. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and on YouTube. I have uh, several hundred uh, videos that I've done. So if you if you uh, like video instruction, um, you know I've got uh, three to two to three minute long videos and, and some shorter ones as well uh, from full swing, short game. So pretty much everything. Um, also, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be a senior editor uh, with golf tips magazine and I do uh, the instructional articles, um, some instructional videos, which are also on YouTube and uh, my faith based uh, uh, feature um, fairways to heaven. And um, really been excited about that and really enjoy that mm-hmm. part of, of um, you know, reaching out to people and, and communicating with people. So hopefully, the all the listeners out there will get a subscription to Golf Kids Magazine, and and uh, that's my shameless plug, uh, Ted, for for the magazine. But I, it's really, I really hope that you, I really hope that you'll they'll they'll they will reach out and and, and get a subscription because it's it's got a lot of great stuff in there, and I I'm I am i really enjoying it. Uh, I also have a book Golf Is My Life, glorifying God through the game. Um, you can get that in Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or on walmart.com. Uh, and it comes in paperback, uh, comes also hardcover. But you can also, if, if you like e-books, you can download it as well. And I have been doing, now that we're kind of through COVID and everything, hopefully through it, um, uh, I forgot my first uh, public speaking um, in, engagement coming up on um, it's going to be in Springfield, Ohio on August the 9th. So if you're in the Springfield, Ohio area, or the Columbus area and you want to come over, uh, I'm going to be speaking to the Nehemiah Foundation. They're doing a golf clinic. Uh, I'm going to be working with a lot of uh, some troubled youths and their mentors, uh, and I'm going to be speaking I'm going to be teaching there, uh, speaking to them. And then afterward, the, the fundraiser, they're raising money uh, for some, uh, some great causes there. Uh, in the in that area, I'm going to be speaking to the fence and all the participants are going to get a book. So if you're interested in that, or if you're interested in having me come and speak um, at your uh, golf event or uh, tournament or whatever, um, please reach out to me. I'd love to do it. And that's something I really enjoy as well. But once again, Ted, thanks for all that you do for all of us mm-hmm. who are trying to grow this game and giving us the platform uh, every Thursday night. We really enjoy it.
2: I appreciate it, John, as always. And uh, you'll also, for obviously the members know now, but uh, John is the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. and uh, I'm sure he'd love to hear from you there as well, and maybe uh, he can uh, work something out and, and help you with your game. But uh, otherwise, you can reach out to him uh, through his social media contacts, and you can also read his uh, great articles, uh, Fairways to Heaven, in uh, as well as some instructional tips in uh, Golf Tips Magazine. You can go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. John, as always, thank you very much. I appreciate it and uh, continue doing the great work, and I will uh, talk to you soon. Sounds great, Ted. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, John Decker, uh, PGA instructor and also the director of instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio, as I mentioned. Um, always a pleasure to have him on uh, and we had a little special Coach's Corner segment tonight. I always enjoyed having him on. All right, before I introduce my uh, very special guest this evening, here's uh, some quick messages from some of our sponsors.
0: This edition of Golf Talk Live is brought to you by Golf Pal, the best place to find only the finest in golf
2: training aids and accessories. Get in on some great deals on leading products such as Down Underboard, Soto, Golf Slingshot, and more. Visit golfpal.golf today. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Golf Pal,
0: we're serious about your game. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, Simple-to-follow practice and gain improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right. Um, I'm very excited
2: to have Two great guests, uh, this evening, uh, Kelly McCammon, he is the founder and CEO at the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation, and joining him also is Dan Han- Anderson, excuse me, who is the CEO, CMO, and development coach at the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation. And, um, for those of you new to the program that maybe, uh, have just started following golf a little bit, I'm going to tell you a little bit about, uh, Payne Stewart and, uh, Then we'll get into our discussion tonight about their foundation. Uh, Payne Stewart, of course, is a PGA Tour icon who became one of the game's most beloved and recognized players, winning several tournaments, including three major championships. Uh, He was known as an entertainer, a jokester, and, of course, a golf fashion icon. Uh, The closest uh, to him knew him uh, as a family man who was a devoted husband and father who was a lot of fun. Uh, His daughter, Chelsea, said as a competitor... Uh, As my father was, uh, he was more about caring for people. Uh, Payne had a deep and growing faith that uh, transformed him into the man he had become before his tragic death in 1999. Uh, Through the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation and Golf Experiences, uh, they press into Payne's legacy and the importance he placed in his deepening faith, his love of family, and the fun that he had, of course, with the game of golf. So please welcome my very special guests uh, this evening uh kelly and dan Great. good evening thank guys you, and welcome to golf talk thank you welcome to golf thank talk thanks line. for having us i appreciate it very thanks much for thank you us. for joining me i appreciate it so uh i i just wanted to, to share with the folks because obviously there's some new uh golfers out there and may not be familiar with who Payne was and and uh, he was one of my uh certainly one of my favorite uh players uh growing up and uh he actually was younger than I am, believe it or not, but I still enjoyed watching him on the PGA Tour, and it was very tragic when uh, we all heard of his, his death in 1999. Of course, he and, uh, and others were involved in a, a plane crash, and um, you know, here we are uh, some years later, and we're still remembering very fondly the many things that he not only contributed to, to the game of golf, uh, but what really his legacy has carried on through the foundation, and we're going to talk about that. So let's talk about... If you wouldn't mind, and, and, and uh, Kelly, I'm going to start with you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, and then Dan, I'll get you to jump in as well, is maybe talk about how the foundation came about, how it got started, and, and maybe uh, we'll get into what its specific mission and focus are in a moment, but maybe you can just talk about how the foundation got started and, uh, and what, uh, what, where we are today.
3: Yeah no, no thank you Ted thanks for having us on the show also really really enjoy it and and, and known known your golf live TV for, for uh, golf talk for live for a while here um, yeah no so we we've known uh, Tracy, Payne's wife for for a lot of years you know um, and we always saw you know in 1998 when they started their family foundation you know Payne's purpose was to reach into the inner city and, and you know and really. We call it every child deserves to play golf is is really what his mm-hmm. focus was, and so um, you know all the years you know over the last twenty years we've talked about it, you know and, and we were involved a lot of us with, with snag off you know with the first tee which we'll go over later too right. and it's sort of so it's, it's so it's not really a start we're starting but it's been 20, 25 years in the making, um, of you know how do you reach uh, the kids where they are. And um, that's mm-hmm. what led to Tracy recommending that you know that we put together. Uh, she's part of part of it, um, the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation, and really the focus is you know everywhere they're start, everywhere but a golf course. So where the kids are starting all the sports, you know. So we always say you know take off your golf hat. And if you look at the sporting world, you know where do, where do kids start soccer and basketball and you know and lacrosse now and and, and all these sports. And it's at the parks and recs, at the YMCA's, at mm-hmm. the Boys and Girls Club, and so that is, is the mission of the foundation. Is you know how do we, we we go to where they are with the other sports at that age? Our, our niche is four, five, six, and seven. You know that's when the moms are picking the sports at age four, five, and six. Now you know I'm in, I'm 53, so right. you know it's a lot a lot earlier yep. than it was for us when we were all growing up, right? And so that's the the mission is to get to where the kids are. Um, And then what's exciting about today right now is it's really going to create a lot of diversity, you know, equity and inclusion Um, because, you know, we're we just partnered with the Boys and Girls Club. You know, they have forty seven hundred locations and five million kids and they're learning Mm -hmm. all the other sports but golf. But now we're going to be bringing in golf. Yep. So that's a that's a quick sort of you know overview of, of really the you know the purpose of us starting this foundation.
2: And, and Dan, let me come to you about that and just sort of uh, piggyback on that a little bit because that's extremely important. What, what Kelly just pointed out, uh, you know, so many of the other what we call mainstream sports, football, baseball, you know, lacrosse, what have you, um, have been well entrenched in the school systems in in other uh, areas that kids get exposed to for so long. Um, but golf has been sort of one of those games, if you will, um, unless you grew up as I did, you know, where my father took me out when I was quite young and and uh, maybe uh, both of you had a similar experience, um, unless you had golf in your family of some sort, you really didn't get exposed to it. So maybe you could talk about really, you know, how do we make up ground, if you will, because we're, we're kind of a little bit behind the eight ball compared to other sports and being well entrenched in the kids. So what? What is the foundation doing specifically? Obviously, you're reaching out to different areas, uh, the the boys and girls clubs and things like that. But what do we need to do as an industry to really get kids interested in golf that we haven't been doing?
4: Well, that <clears throat> me, that's a great question, and, and I think one of the there's a couple hurdles that golf has had to overcome. Uh, one you mentioned that you have to be on a golf course to learn golf. At least that's what people think. Mm-hmm. And secondly, is that that kids use the same size, basically, golf clubs and same size ball and the same small hole to really learn and play golf. And that's just not how normal sports are learned. Most other sports use modified equipment and modified locations to get kids introduced to the sport. And golf hasn't Mm -hmm. been in that equation. So, you know, I think snag golf and uh, short golf also had it right in modifying equipment. But the second piece of the equation that they didn't have right was bringing golf to the neighborhoods to the local kids uh, to be able to do it so you know there's the pga junior golf camps first tee they're really kind of the second phase for kids that have developed some type of skill to be able to play but there's no recreational Mm -hmm. golf that's out there and that's really what we're bringing is recreational golf to moms as an option Uh, In Mm -hmm. the locations where they would normally pick a sport. So, you know as Kelly had mentioned, you know, we're we're in uh, YMCA's, boys and girls clubs uh, also uh, churches where uh, upward sports is Kind of introduced. So that's where we are. We're in the local neighborhoods with modified equipment With oversized clubs and balls and we're also using some fun game aspect to what we're doing keeping kids engaged and fun um, you know, soccer balls, disc golf, just kids learning distance and direction. And so it's important that kids have fun and want to then continue on. So that accessibility piece is a huge hurdle overcome. And then it's also the cost equation. You know, having kids, having parents to have, go buy golf clubs for their kids um, is an right. expensive proposition. We provide all the equipment and uh, we do all the training of the location partners that provide the skills training, but also the fun training. And so that's all developed by our programming and the, and the foundation funds the golf clubs uh, to be able to go in so that kids don't have to buy clubs to learn the game.
2: Yeah, and, and you raise a, a very interesting point as well, Dan, that I want to touch on a little bit. And you, you mentioned the fact that you know you sort of adapt equipment to help them introduce to the game they don't necessarily have to go out and have traditional golf clubs and traditional golf ball and even a traditional golf hole um, when they're first learning the game. And, and so many other sports, you know, we do different things to uh, you know, teach children to, to learn to play these you know, before we put them out in the football field or before we put them out in the soccer field. There's other things that we've done. And golf, as I mentioned earlier, is, was kind of behind the eight ball. And I think by doing that, that helps a little bit with the cost factor because obviously it is expensive. Uh, compared to some other sports, you can't just pick up a you know a ten dollar tennis racket or a used tennis racket and get out there and uh, you know the same or with golf clubs the same way as you can with a tennis racket. Um, but the other thing as well, and I was talking about this in an earlier segment. I don't know if you both happened to catch it, but one of the things we talked about with equipment is, you know, we seem to be all bound and bent that you have to get out there and buy fourteen golf clubs when you're first learning this game. And that's just not true today in today's game. Um, You could cut that down by half and just have a very specific set of clubs with just seven clubs in the bag instead of 14, and then let that grow as both the the player matures a little bit and develops a little bit, and as the parents can afford it. Um, I'll give you a good example. I know he's part of your group, Wally Armstrong. And I actually had him on the show a few years ago, and I talked about this very thing, which I'm going to mention, and then I'm going to let you guys respond. Uh, He was on, of course, many years. uh, He'd been on the Golf Channel, been featured on that. And he actually did a program uh, segment where he took a 7-iron, a pitching wedge, and a putter and played three holes, a 4, a par 5, and a par 3, and actually shot one at a par. And the purpose of that segment was to show that you didn't have to have air. And you ask him about it, and he may be a little foggy with some of the details, but that stuck with me, and that was many years ago that he did that segment. So, you know, this is something that I think that we have to – get message out there as an industry as well. What do you guys think? Kelly, I'll let you go first, and then Dan.
3: Yeah, no, Wally is brilliant. No, Wally's the one. Wally, you know, back in 1998, 99 came up with the whole, you know, easier way for people to start golf, especially youth. So Wally's the one mm-hmm. that created Snaggolf, brought in Terry Anton, and it's brilliant. You know, with the clubs, fiberglass shaft, and, you know, plastic club, it's a seven-iron, eight-iron, seven-iron loft. So there's that one club, and then you have the putter, mm-hmm. which really looks like a Seymour C- C- putter. You know, we like the Seymour C- guys. Right. And, and, and it's brilliant <laughs> and because it's, it's such a simple way to, to just learn and start golf, and then everything sticks, so you hit all these targets. And, you know, Wally is uh, – I talk to Wally every day. So Wally, you know, has this, such a great simplistic way to learn, you know, go, mm-hmm. the golf swing is a circle. And so we're teaching them through games and play. You know, and they're they're you know they're learning how to putt, chip, pitch, and swing. They're learning how to play holes on the field. Our holes are are three-sided nets, so they chip into the net because um, we can put it on any field anywhere. Every soccer field, there's a hundred thousand soccer fields, so we have a hundred thousand beginner golf courses. And Wally's exactly. um, been able to really, yeah, and really the transition after they get good enough with what we're doing, then they go, you know, then they go into you know, a first tee or a PGA junior league or a drive chip and putt or an LBJ girls golf, you know, youth on course is doing a great job getting kids to the golf courses, but you're right. Then they should just have a seven iron, a pitching wedge and a putter. Yeah. We don't need to get them a full set of clubs. I totally agree with right. you. And it's sort of funny. A lot of people might play better with only those three clubs. Um, so Wally is um, yeah, very instrumental in, in the thinking of all this. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he. he I, I remember that segment like it, it was yesterday, and, and it was, I mean, uh, again, he was obviously proving a point that, you know, and again, we all love to hit the driver, and we love to, you know, hit some of these other clubs now, but the point was is he was able to produce a one-under-par score on, of course, it was three holes with just those three clubs. And, uh, you know, obviously the holes were a little shorter than what they are today, but they're still pretty, they had some teeth to it. So he was just out really to prove a point, and he did it very, very well. Um you know, Dana, one of the things, too, that I think as an industry, and I know there's more and more people, you know, you, you guys had mentioned about, uh, you know, so many different uh, organizations out there to really develop uh, junior golf and that, and they're great, don't get me wrong. But a lot of them, uh, again, are more of a higher competitive uh, type format, and not everybody's going to, you know, make it out there, and, uh, or maybe has aspirations of going on to play collegiate golf. So we have to have a little more of a grassroots uh, movement, if you will, in golf to let those that just want to go out and have some fun. um, This is really what the foundation is part of its mission, is to get out there and have fun, uh, you know, through the game of golf. Uh, Am I right, Dan?
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, you know, part of the frustration that you saw kids developing at this age. You know, tradition isn't helpful when it comes to introducing kids to golf. And, you know, we talk about baseball, doing, you know, the T-ball. Soccer has little kickers. Football has peewee football. Basketball has upward sports. You, you don't, don't start a kid on a bicycle. You start them off on a tricycle. And so right. that's what we have to do from a kid's perspective, getting them to have fun. The kid won't have fun getting on a 10-speed bike. He's, he's going to get frustrated. But that's what we expect in golf. they're not starting off on the tricycle and that's what that's what we are we are the tricycle of the uh, golf industry and so you know we're not competing with you know any of those others that we talked about we are truly the introductory program getting kids just Mm -hmm. to have fun and that's if they're not having fun they're not going to progress any further and so for example uh, last summer when we were testing these in three different locations there was a young gal that was a dancer that her father put her into a, a program in uh, South Carolina, and she went away from the program after five days, saying, "I want to continue in golf," and she mm-hmm. didn't. She had less interest in dancing, which is her father was just blown away. But there it is: just exposure of a kid having fun um, and not, you know, overcorrecting their grip and you're know, holding the club wrong here and. You know, it's, so it's just letting kids be kids, have fun, game-based play, keep, keeping them rotated and engaged so that they're just, you know, wanting to continue. And
3: Ted, can, yeah, you and that, can I add to
2: that, Ted, yes. for a second, too? Sure.
3: Yeah, on that note, Ted, um, yeah, the, the, you know, out of the, the 26 million people that play golf in the United States, 10% have a handicap. So – Yep. That's why our our focus is really the nine, the recreational you know that you hit it right on the head um, you know there's so much focus in the industry on competitive, which is great, but you know so we, we want a broad reach you know to all you know really the u s demographics you know so we want to hit all the demographics in the u s to start golf, you know and then and then you know and then focus on being recreational players because that's that's ninety percent of the industry um and so you're you're you're, you're completely correct. Um, that's our our total focus: is have fun and 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 then pick it up also when they're adults later.
2: Well, and I think it goes back to that to the to the word fun. And and uh, I'll tell you something: a, a quick story here that I want to share. Um, I'm the publisher and editor of, of Golf Tips Magazine. I purchased the magazine last year, and one of the articles that's coming out in our, our latest edition. Uh, that i put together is about millennial golfers and what they really want and one of the interesting things through some discussions that other people in the industry have had as well is that they don't want the traditional golf experience alone they want to get out there they want to have fun they want to add other things they're obviously about technology there are other things that they enjoy as well they want as they put it the golf plus experience So the typical country club mentality is not something that's of interest to to every millennial out there. In fact, it's a very low number compared to to others. They want to get out. They want to travel. They want to do a lot of other things. So I think one of the criticisms that I've had of the industry, and I'm a teaching professional, so I've been in the industry a long time, is that for so long, we've kind of put everybody in in one box. And I think what's happening now is you've seen a a pushback within uh, the golfing community because obviously you know we 're all getting older, so the older ones are are moving on down the, the pasture, if you will, and the younger ones are coming up, and they 're looking for a different experience that doesn 't mean that they 're not going to go and play in, on a country club or they 're not going to go and play in a resort course, but they 're looking for other experiences that 's why top golf did so well and has done so well with the entertainment. so when you look at some of the programs and introductions, one of the criticisms that i 've had, and, and dan i 'm going to start with you on this one is that too often a lot of these junior programs have kind of been there designed to feed them into whether it be collegiate and and beyond uh and that's not going to be for everybody so we need to be a much broader approach i think uh in the industry and i think the other thing that we need to do and i'm going to shut up here in a second if i let you speak is that um in the teaching side of things i think some of the instructors need to be Specialized in working with juniors alone and not just a, a well-rounded uh, golf instructor because there are unique challenges and areas of the game that are very unique to junior golfers um, that you can't always get from just going to uh, your local PGA Pro or PGA Pro. What are your thoughts there?
4: Well, I'm going I'm to leave the uh, kind of teaching aspect and everything to Kelly on answering that since he's a a PGA pro I'm a consumer products (laughs) marketing guy but I can speak Mm -hmm. to it from a kids. I had three kids that played soccer uh, and Mm -hmm. grew up doing that I wish I had a program that I could put them into to get them exposed to golf because you know I I, they right now love golf and and excel at that but uh, you know I I do think that uh, you know the current teaching environment uh, is one that gets kids frustrated and so you know, we've overlooked the simplicity of golf and, you know, really creating a program that gets kids having the fun and not not teaching-based but fun-based in doing that. So, um, Kelly, why don't you answer the questions dealing on the, uh, you know, the P.J. Junior Golf Camp's 1st tee kind of standpoint.
3: Yeah, no, so, um, you know, you, you, it's that age, uh, Ted, you know, we're really um, – you know, I think with uh, I'm a PGA member. You know, and then as, a, mm-hmm. as an instructor. so you know, the, your your brain doubles in size at, at age eight, and so in in a, in, in a, so the industry in, in in a way is starting at the right time because it's you know it's more like stage two, right. you know, and then right. you know um, the PGA members, the LPGA, you know, we're all trained and taught you know how to teach golfers. Um, I I think there's not as much focus on on a new golfer. You know, I think it's a lot mm. easier to teach an existing player because of the video and all the technology. Um, it's, right. I think it's much harder to start someone from scratch, and then it's even harder maybe to take a five- or six- or seven-year-old. Um, and so, it's, I, I, so so part of it is just, you know, that's why, you know, you tend to have maybe the P teachers with the first T did well because they have a four-year college degree, you know, in childhood development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have that that early age where they just mimic and you don 't want to get specific, so we really have just uh, followed you know the physical education standards uh, that 's why we teach them through games and play you know and we teach the youth leaders where we put it in and then the, it, and then and then you have a lot of volunteers and they 're just playing games and they 're learning all these fundamentals that they don 't even know they 're learning you know and then when we move right. them, you know into the golf world. Which really starts at age seven and eight. You know, PJ Junior League mm-hmm. is really seven and eight. LBJ Girls Golf is seven and eight. First tee seven and eight. You know, drive chip putt seven and eight. And then then they can you know then we can start getting a little bit more technical, you know, as they progress. Um, right. But there's yeah we 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 haven't really been taught how to teach you know the new uh, youth for you know so much in our training. Um, so that I think that's part yeah. of so
4: yeah. Let me add to that, too, because it's interesting that we we do deal with Mark Haddad at PGA Junior Golf Camps, and he really loves our program because we supplement them well. And, you know, he really wants to take mm-hmm. the kids that are interested, but that's mostly at age eight. Anything younger, he says, I spend all of our time babysitting the kids because they're just not of the mentality to be able to grasp everything that's going on. So we really are kind of that babysitting program because we understand how to deal with young kids. And that's through the engagement Mm -hmm. of keeping kids moving, keeping things fun. And so from that, you have to understand the mentality of the age of the child and their capabilities to comprehend what is being taught on the golf level and golf is complicated. And so you really, you know, starting at age eight with a traditional club and a ball, you need to be that age to really grasp those things. We want to make it fun. We want to introduce, you that introductory phase to the kids and, you know, really get them just interested so that they can move on if they're interested in that phase two and phase three programs.
2: Yeah, and, that, and that's really what I was getting at is, you know, I, I think that typically in the past, um... You know that's what we've seen is is that's what most people are exposed to is some of the different programs and they're all good programs I'm not don't misunderstand me I'm not dismissing any of them but I think that to really introduce this game on a a larger scale what you guys uh, are doing and have been doing uh, for some time now is really what as as an industry whole we need to really grapple on and, and. and then, you know, let the child uh, decide at some point when they get to that age, that, you know, seven eight nine years old, where they want to go. If the, you know, once they've been introduced and, and, you know, have had some fun and say, hey, you know, this might be something for me, you know, then, then it's a little bit different. But I think typically what's happened in the past is they've kind of been put into that box where, hey, let's get out and let's be competitive and let's do that. And they're... You know, some have succeeded, obviously, we've seen witnesses as as they progress through the pJ and L P J tour over time. Uh, but many get frustrated uh, with some of the uh, the avenues that they've gone into, and it just has not been conducive. So I really like what you guys are are doing here. Um, and I'm gonna throw this up in the air. whoever wants to answer this, but uh, one of the things that Payne uh, obviously uh, was faith was very important to him, and uh, you guys offer. Uh, really, some uh, to parents and obviously to the to the kids involved. Uh, some really faith-based character-building camps, if you will, uh, to help them learn not only the fundamentals of golf but the fundamentals of life. Can you touch on that a little bit? Uh, either one.
3: Yeah, I'll start. sure. Then Dan, uh, you could. Um, yeah, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, go ahead. Yep, no, go ahead. So we we our faith component is is really built around. Um, you know, with the churches and the YMCA's, the nine fruits of the spirit. So love, joy, mm-hmm. peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, general and self-control. And then, and we go deeper into that. And then, you know, at boys and girls clubs and parks and recs, uh, you know, nine virtues. You know, the same words,
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, but you know, not just not as deep. Uh, but we felt like right. you know, those words are are you know, we re, we and we now as a team. Well, you get up every morning and you read those words. You know, I have them on my whiteboards. You know, it'll affect your day. You know, when you're when you're focused on love, joy, yep. peace, patience, kindness, and and it's sort of fun because we we're putting those words on our. We have the small soccer balls. We have the, our balls have the words on them, like two words each. And uh, Dan's done a great job. You know, we're making our own. We have our own Pain Stewart learning equipment, and we've incorporated mm-hmm. those words into the equipment, and it's really. Phenomenal. I mean, it's nothing like looking down at a ball and seeing, seeing like love and peace. You know, where
0: our, our yep. holes
3: when we're when we're doing the nine holes everywhere in the country, the first hole is going to be love, and the last hole is going to be self control. And so right. um, <laughs> we're excited about that, right? Like you go out and the second yep. hole is, is joy. You know, um, and so it, it's it just sort of came to us through, you know, the, you know what, how you'd want to, you know, just just God or the spirit or. Um, it's been fascinating how that's evolved. Uh, but Dan, do you want to add mm-hmm. to that?
4: Yeah, As you say, you know, starting with love and ending with self-control. Maybe the better thing is starting with self-control and ending with love. So maybe <laughs> we flip those right. around. <laughs> <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. No. Right.
4: No. But it, it, you know, faith was a key component into to, to Payne's life, and so that's why he started right. the, the Payne Stewart Family Foundation was really to get his kids engaged in giving back. And so he was a changed man through his faith, through his kids, and he felt it important that that legacy of his continue on. We've picked it up here, uh, you know, just recently and really tried to create um, a program that allows kids to get into a fun golfing exercise. And, you know, one of the other things that we talk about is, you know, we're trying to inspire others through the faith, the fun, and the flair of Payne Stewart. So, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people know the flair and the fun of Payne Stewart, but right. don't necessarily know the faith side of him. And he was a very spiritual guy. And so through that, yes. um, telling his story allows us to bring build in the faith component, which brings all those other aspects into it. But, uh, you know, it's, it's important to the family. And so it's one of the components that is built into our programming. Um, so it's, you know, life skills, Um, but also, you know, faith-based camps and clinics um, to be able to support that.
2: Yeah, and I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I go back to something I said earlier when you both were first coming on, and I, uh, you know, mentioned in some of the opening uh, statement, uh, you know, that his daughter uh, recognized, you know, even though he was uh, competitive, uh, obviously referring to his golf, uh, more importantly, he was about caring for, for, you know, for other people. And that was obviously, you know, as a result of having a strong faith. And, you know, I can remember back, uh, I believe it was at Pinehurst, when uh, in the U.S. Open with, uh, with Phil Mickelson. And Phil's wife, of course, at the time was expecting a child. And, you know, Phil obviously didn't fare well in the, in the tournament. Um, but, you know, Payne, you know, walked up to him on the 18th uh, green and just, you know, sort of embraced his face and said, you know what? This is going to be great you're going to be a father, you're going to be a dad, and that's going to be the the, the most joy and I'm paraphrasing, of course, I know he said yeah. two different words, but essentially and that really you know resonated with a lot of people, and I think that's why he was so loved as a golfer and that 's not to criticize anybody else, but you know I think it really shone through in who he was as an individual, and I really applaud you guys and and the rest of the team for really carrying that through. Uh, through the foundation and through the golf. And, you know, Dan, you mentioned something as well as really about so many life lessons. And I've always believed that, that golf teaches so many life lessons that, that kids can learn out in the golf course that, and also in life that can be sort of gone back and forth, if you will, between the two. Um, and that's something that I think that obviously he wanted uh, as well through, you know his life and his career and and that's part of his legacy now and family obviously is as, as I just mentioned was important as well. Why don't you guys touch on that? That's obviously providing parents uh, some greater access and ability uh to be able to get their kids out in the golf course and do that. Maybe you guys can touch on that. Kelly, I'll start with you and then Dan you can add in as well.
3: Yeah, what what's what's great about when you go out to, you know, um YMCA or Park and Rec or a boys and girls club, you know, and, and, and they're starting the sports, you know, they're all modified, but another part that is, is included is parents, especially like the soccer tots. parents are volunteering. Yep. And so you have like a youth leader who, who, who is trained how to run it, you know, and, and run all the stations and the games, but then they have, the parents are engaged. And so we have the parents out there at the camps and at the clinics and it's um, – it, so it becomes more of this family engagement. Um, you know, the moms, 95% of the moms are signing up their kids for the sports. You know, that, as we all know, that's changed quite a bit over the last 20, 30 years. And then so we have the mom right. engaged from signing up, you know, and then, and then we have a lot of moms and dads, you know, then volunteering out on the field. And then so there's a great opportunity, too, to then convert them to want to start golf, too, with their kids. And so we, mm. we actually been playing, playing around with letting them, you know, go ahead and play and learn with the kids as they learn a little bit, um, cause it's such an easy way to learn. Um, and so the, 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 family aspect, so that way, you know, we, we take away from, you know, the negative part you'll hear is, you know, the, 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 father goes out for four or five hours on a Saturday, right. And leaves the family. <laughs> well, um, right. you know, I think, you know, you have this with the millennials, there's an opportunity to bring the whole family, you know, um, yep. and, and. We could, and, you know, and, and I see even even I talk with a lot of golf course owners. Let the kids use the modified equipment on the golf course and just have fun. Yep. You know, um, th- mm-hmm. that, that like snow skiing really nailed it. You know, they snowboards. They don't care what you use on on the slope. Snowboards. You know, you yep. can sit on the board. You can. I mean, whatever. Yep. Same thing with a golf course. Yep. Dan, any thoughts? Yeah, on I think the it's changing.
4: Yeah, no, and just to expand upon, you know, the the giving back aspect that that Payne brought forward in in, in introducing his family foundation is that there was an Aspen Institute called Project Play in 2019 that did a study that said 62% of American families cannot afford to put their kids into youth sports, and that's especially true Mm -hmm. in golf. And so in the giving back aspect of his family doing that, we need to make golf more affordable to families not only from a golf perspective, but there's 62% of, the, of American families that can't even get their kids into sports. And so that's the other reason we created the foundation is that we have a, a, a pay aspect of um, the registration-based system that we do, but we'd be remiss that if we didn't address putting it in putting programs into areas, into inner cities that can't afford it, And so we're raising funds to be able to provide those programs free boys and girls clubs of america is a perfect example we wouldn't be able to partner with them if we didn't have the paints for kids golf foundation to raise the funds to be able to support that programming so you know the faith aspect of pain was very important the family aspect and the giving back aspect and so that's what we've created in the foundation to be able to pay for and give scholarships to kids they can't afford to do it on their own.
2: Yeah, and it, it, it's you know it's so important. I think uh, again to, uh, and I, I just want to add about the family uh, aspect as well, real quick, and then and then I'll move on. But you know we're seeing kind of a trend, and part of it you know it's been going on for a little while, but it really I think ramped up. You know, unfortunately we've been all dealing with this COVID thing uh, for the last year and a bit. And, uh, you know, golf has seen a, a, a growth which we hadn't seen in a little while. Uh, as a result, people obviously, let's be honest, uh, uh, didn't have anything to do. They were co- tired of watching Netflix and everything else. And they said, let's get out and do something. And golf, you know, was one of those sports, the uh, games, if you will, that uh, afforded people to just get out of the house. But what it's done, and, and, you know, you touched on it about millennials and that as well, is that they're looking at it differently. Uh, again, they're not just, as you mentioned, you know, dad, just dad going to the golf course, uh, you know, for four or five hours and the family's left at home. They want to be able to be more involved as a family unit and doing things together. And this is a great opportunity. Uh, and I think you guys, you know, you just alluded to it that this is something you're you're thinking of maybe doing, having the parents, uh, uh, maybe particularly the mothers, but uh, getting involved. And I think it's a great idea because this is really what this generation coming through right now is looking for, is they don't want just somebody sort of disappearing for four or five hours. They want to do things together and get out and have some fun with their little ones. And uh, this is a great way to do it. So um, I think that's, uh, that would be heading in the right direction. Now, you also have some events. Uh, do you guys want to talk about that? You've got uh, the Payne Stewart Kids uh, National Golf Fun Event. What's that, uh, your inaugural event? What's that about uh, happening uh, in September?
3: Go ahead, Dan.
4: Yeah, no, it's uh, you know, th- with our partnership with the Boys and Girls Club of America, you know, we, as I had mentioned, that we we need to raise funds to, uh, you know, uh, put those programs in, and so what better way than to do it than than a golf event, and so, you know, we're, we're taking a little bit of a little bit different of approach in this one, in that it's a nationwide tournament and we were we Mm -hmm. partner with a group called 18 birdies and they that Mm -hmm. their app allows to do virtual tournaments so that anybody can enter into the the tournament so our event is happening from september 1 to september 30 uh, and we're encouraging people to go to painsteward.org to sign up and learn more about uh, the event but get three of their buddies to get out and play around uh, to help raise funds for uh, Boys and Girls Club and the programs that we're putting into that, so you know it, it's just a fun way to go out and experience. It's only 40 bucks to join. They can mm-hmm. pick the golf course of their choice and go out and play around any day in September. So um, there's going to be fun prizes that we're giving. You know, it's not the winner of the tournament. Um, we're encouraging people to get on and you know dress like pain to pose like pain. Uh, and, you know, go to the feed to be able to be eligible to win some of the prizes that we're doing. I mean, for example, um, you know, we will have some putters from um,
3: uh, Seymour. I'm, I'm, Seymour. Seymour.
4: Seymour, thank you. That,
0: mm.
4: th- th- so Payne, you know, Your won the used... U.S. Open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's th- that inspired technology that, you know, it, it's just going to be some of those uh, fun events for people to be able to to go but the objective of it is to have fun and raise raise money for uh, the kids golf foundation to be able to put more of these programs the more money we raise the quicker we can uh, put the programming in
3: yeah let me add in some of that yeah, it, yeah so it's re- really mm-hmm. unique to have, you know it's only now because of technology and these phones right so 18 birdies really yep. created this amazing app where You are able. You register at our foundation for forty dollars, so it's only forty dollars, and you get. We have tee prizes and digital prizes, you know, and then you get linked eighteen birdies, and that's why we can do it at any golf course in the country because then you pay your own green Mm -hmm. fee, and so they they can they have the algorithm to add in the stroke and the rating, you know, and then you when you go play you put your score in the eighteen birdies app as you play. And so we'll be tracking these throughout the whole month, and we're going to do weekly and and just real fun ones. And so it's really unique that, you know, we could have 50,000 people playing throughout the whole month of September. And so, you know, I I think it's going to be a, a huge game changer for a lot of charities, you know, where you don't just have one day and you can only get 120 people out there, right? Um, right. You can now take advantage of this kind of, you know, way to raise money for the – we're going to do this every year in the month of September because every year in the middle of September is the Payne Stewart Award that the PGA Tour gives away mm-hmm. and with Sun right. & Company. So this is going to be our annual ongoing fundraiser. And what's exciting is, you know, the Boys & Girls Club is really excited about it because it's going to help raise more funds every year for, to put it into the Boys & Girls Club. And where they really bring a, they bring a lot of um, influencers, you know, they're their alumni. If you look up the Boys and Girls Club alumni, you know, it's Michael Jordan, it's Ken Griffey Jr., it's Shaquille O'Neal, it's General Clark. It's an unbelievable alumni of people that went to the Boys and Girls Club growing up. And so they're going to be re- – Ken Griffey Jr. is making a video for us right now. They're going to be reaching out to them at the end of August and going into September to promote the tournament for people to plan. And then I, I do want to, you know, point out too that the industry has been really amazing, you know, at, we already have the national golf course owners association. They've been, uh, they just did a blast to all the golf course owners. Um, they've been very supportive, mm. Jake Karen and Mike Ketterman and his team. We've been w- working with Joe Beditz at the national golf foundation, you know, about getting right. the word out. And so it, it's been really great seeing, you know, the people, you know, in the industry seeing, you know, hey, this could be, a, this is a great way to, 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 to just have fun. Um, you know, it's, it's not that much. Everybody can play all over mm-hmm. and, and we can really make a difference.
2: Well, you know, and, and it goes to something that we've heard for so long now in, in golf is, you know, growing the game. And this is really an area that we can do it. Uh, you know, obviously there's other things that we've, we've been doing along the ways that certainly is, is helping. Um, but, again, I think the most important thing before we, you know, get into really honing in on the fundamentals of the game and so forth is just really introducing uh, these youngsters because those are going to be the future golfers, uh, whether they aspire to, you know, be the next Tiger Woods or, or, or Payne Stewart or whoever, um, you know, just getting them and introducing them to the game and, and letting them you know go out and have some fun and giving them uh, an alternative, and I think uh, again, as, as we introduce more families uh, into the game as well, as a family, not just individual, you know golf has always been perceived as an individual sport, and in many ways it is, because you're, you're playing really against yourself. But I think golf is now starting to morph and realize that, you know what, this is something that the family can do in whatever capacity. Um, you know they choose to do it, and there's different formats and different uh, areas to be involved, and different levels to be involved as well. Um, so I think the traditional game is always going to be there, but I think we're seeing momentum moving into other ways that is becoming appealing to the masses, and I think that's really how we're going to grow the game. And it sounds that the uh, the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation is really what you're trying to do here is is to get it in front of you know as many youngsters as possible, giving them those opportunities. So. Go ahead. Sorry.
3: Well, I want let, let me jump on. Yeah. So uh, you hit it right on the head, Ted. Is is what's exciting is I'm going to throw it out there. You know, we had 30 million golfers. We went back to 26 million golfers. I think we have an, a, an opportunity to go with the millennials to forty million golfers and it will be half women, mm-hmm. just like society. Fifty per- the growth yep. will be women driven, girl driven and minority driven. If yep. we can get the fifty percent women, the men, and we can get the thirteen percent African American like the country, and we can get the eighteen percent Hispanic mm-hmm. like the country, we'll be at forty million. Mm-hmm. And so when we put yep. it in the boys and girls clubs and the parks and recs, that's the demographics we're hitting. We're finding out in our yep. camps and clinics, half the half of the fifty percent are girls signing up, which is really high. Because yep. I know I know in yep. other other ones, there's like twenty percent. So we're excited about that.
2: Well, just to give you an example, real quick, um, just to to add to that, uh, last year twenty twenty middle hot of a hot pandemic, if you will. Uh, there were 400,000-plus young women that were introduced to golf last year here in the United States. Exactly. Um, so that's – that's yeah, and, you know, we're averaging 33 to 35% of all new golfers every season for the last several years have been young women. And it's not because they all want to get out on the LPGA Tour or, uh, or other uh, women's tours – it's because they're recognizing that it's something for them and and again it has to start at a grassroots I think that's the best way to do it and I think the more ways that we can get this information out to the masses and you know again we all love the tours we love watching the tour players but the reality is we're not all all good enough to get out there so it's nice to know that hey there's something there for us too and I think it's just a matter of, of reshuffling how we promote it and how we get it out there and introduce it to people at various levels that I think is going to get to that 40 million plus number. Um, so how do we get involved? If those that are listening to the show, whether it be parents or maybe, uh, obviously, I don't think four-year-olds are listening to the show, but uh, let's talk to the parents. What's some great ways that they can get involved? Go ahead, guys. Dan?
4: Yeah, well, probably the uh, best way is to you know sign up for the tournament, and that's going to painstreet.org to get more details, and there's the registration link and everything that's on there. Um, One of the other things that we're creating, um, we have a partnership with a group now called One Spare, and so if there's any golf course owners or uh, PGA pros that are out there listening to this, they can also go to our website and look at donating a foursome uh, in our live auction. So there is going to be an auction. We have over 300 foursomes that are um, already in the pool of auction items, so um, you know, if you if you don't play golf and you want to get on uh, when the live auction starts sometime in mid-September and bid on a, a foursome for, you know, um, a, a gal's weekend away or a guy's weekend somewhere, mm-hmm. um, you know, get on and participate that way. Um, also, look on com and you'll see various camps and clinics that are being put on around the country. We have... 20 different locations, which is about 35 different camps that are running here in July. We have some going on in August, and check out to see if there's a, a camp or clinic in your area where you can sign up your 4, 5, 7-year-olds uh, in, in doing that. So, um, you know, participating in the camps, uh, playing in the golf event, um, or you can also go onto to our website, and there's a donation link there where anybody can donate any amount. Um, so, mm-hmm. that's that's ways of helping
2: and and you mentioned uh, earlier as well that a lot of different organizations YMCA and that are involved can people uh, that go into their local YMCA and, and now the Boys and Girls Club can they get information there as well uh, if, if uh, you know what's being offered through those different organizations
3: yeah they can, uh, they, they can. Yeah. Well, what would be, what's great for them is to let them know they love to get the golf started, you know, and and then let okay. them, the organizations okay. know to go to PayneStewart dot org, and then you know, okay. with the Boys and Girls Club, we're working at the national level, you know, to roll it out. You know, um, they're already, you okay. know, we, we have our, we have these locations picked out for this fall, and then the YMCA's, you know, we're going to be, uh, we're already going to the, we're going to go. They have a national conference next year. We'll be at. And so that's okay. a great way or and also private schools we have a lot of private schools now contacting us about golf after school
2: okay yep. um but if 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 somebody in those areas wants to get information, the best way for them to do it is to go to painstuart.org dot org and reach out yep. through that website, and then you'll direct them if in their area if there's somewhere that they can specifically go to be, become more involved correct
3: exactly exactly and then and then correct. same thing with people listening um with the tournament, you know, companies, we've got more companies. You know, Arizona, Arnold Palmer, ice Tea, you know, that, that owner, Chris mm-hmm. Bird, and he was partners with Arnold Palmer. You know, he, he's a sponsor. Um, you know, obviously, SkinView is, is a great nonprofit uh, that's educating people on, on skin cancer. Uh, so, and then, um, you know, we've got Golf Life TV. And we've got iBuyer.com, and we've got different companies now um, that are, you know, FitAmerica.org, helping get kids active in schools Um, there. So it's a great branding opportunity, too, uh, for companies that, you know, want to, uh, you know, get more youth started in golf.
2: Perfect. Well, guys, I want to thank you both very much for coming on and and sharing uh, more about the – the Payne Stewart Kids Golf Foundation. Uh, I think you guys did a great job in explaining everything. And again, uh, we want to direct the folks listening to the show, if they want to get more information, they can go to paynestewart.org and all the information there that we've talked about and more uh, is available on the website. But guys, thank you very, very much and um, please come back again and and, uh, feel free at any time to share some updates. And as new and more exciting things unfold uh, through the foundation and, and different areas that you're uh, expanding to. And, and also if there's anything that I can do to help in, in the future as well uh, to get the word out, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Great. Great. Really we'll
4: appreciate do. it, so, there's, so much. There, yeah. There's also just one additional thing. There is an e-commerce store on the website there so that there is some Painster Kids Golf Foundation merchandise that you can buy and, Soon we're going to have some Argyle Payne Stewart socks that are on there, so that'll, that's just a one mm. other kind of fun aspect of what we're doing. So get your gear at the e-commerce store there on paynestewart.org.
2: Appreciate it, Ted. Perfect. Thank you. Well, God, not, not a problem. Thank you, guys. Have a great, uh, a great uh, rest of your week and weekend, and uh, keep up the great work. And I'm uh, excited to see how uh, the inaugural event goes this, uh, this fall. Uh, please uh, let me know how it goes out. We will. Okay, get so out much, there and Dad.
4: get your foursome together and join. That's right, Dad. That's right. <laughs> I right, will. Well, I'm
2: going to work. I'm gonna, I got to work on my game a little bit before I do that. But yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much, and have a great week.
0: Thanks, Ted. Thanks, thanks take Dad.
2: care. care. Bye. 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 All right. That was uh, Kelly uh, McKemmon, and uh, the CEO and founder of the Payne Stewart uh, Kids Golf Foundation, and Dan Anderson, uh, one of the development coaches and CEO and CMO. Uh, of the foundation as well. Um, to get more information, go to painstuart.org. All of the information is there, and, as again, they're having their inaugural event coming uh, in the month of September, so check it out. All the information is there as well. I want to thank, uh, once again, uh, my good friend John Decker for joining me earlier on the Coach's Corner panel for a special panel discussion that he and I had. I hope you enjoyed that and learned a little bit along the way, uh, and you can reach out to him through social media, John Decker, uh, Golf Instruction. Uh, you can get through all of the different social media channels, Facebook, uh, 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 LinkedIn, Instagram, all of those good ones, Twitter, I think. Um, and John is spelt J-O-N. Uh, and then also, again, go to painstuart.org uh, to learn more about the Pain Stewart Kids Golf Foundation. And uh, you can reach out uh, to virtually anybody there that's uh, part of the team and uh, get more information. I think it's a great idea uh, with summer uh, still upon us. Uh, it might be an opportunity to sign... Uh, your little one up, get them involved. Uh, Get either uh, your little girl or your little boy involved in some of the great camps and clinics that are going on uh, through the uh, Payne Stewart Kids uh, Golf Foundation. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you will join me next week. I'll have another great panel discussion and another great guest right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and have a great weekend.
0: Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coaches Corner Panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.